Welcome to HLB Cross Border Business Talks, HLB's global podcast series on international business topics. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HLB podcast series, Cross Border Business Talks. Today, we will be tackling some of the complexities and opportunities around the very topical subject of ESG and what it means for our work in tax. I'm Shannon Smith, Partner International Tax Practice Leader with an HLB member firm, I Bailey, and I'm joined today with HLB's Global Sustainability Leader, Vijay Narisingham, and Joe Holman, ESG Practice Leader with HLB member firm, Witham. Welcome, everyone. So, Vijay, let's start with the basics. What is ESG? Uh, thanks, Shannon, and thanks, Joe, for joining me in this podcast on tax and ESG. So ESG, ESG stands, uh, the acronym stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. It's a strategic framework designed to be embedded into organization strategy, which considers the needs and ways in which to do generate a long-term value for all organizational stakeholders. It measures how your business integrates environmental, social and governance practices into operations, as well as your business model, its impact and its sustainability. So ESG is a collective term for a business's impact on environment, society, and as well as how robust and transparent its governance is in terms of company leadership, executive pay, audits, internal controls, and shareholder rights. Thanks, Vijay. And I will just give an overview of how ESG involves taxes. So tax is no longer just a question of compliance to statutory regulations. It's a critical element of a business's social contribution. Part of the S in ESG reflects the corporate governance ethos of a company. And looking at tax reporting through an ESG lens can help businesses build trust and demonstrate their commitment to sustainability and social responsibility by telling a story about a business's purpose. So how much taxes are paid and to whom provides a marker at how businesses manage their tax footprint and shines a mirror on other aspects of the ESG agenda. ESG reporting lens can enhance transparency and affect how tax disclosures are viewed. First, it increases the scope of reporting to non-financial material factors such as carbon emissions and workplace race, racial and gender diversity which themselves have tax implications. Second, it emphasizes the link between governance and transparency, which is the foundation of trust. And third, an ESG-based approach to tax reporting is about more than publishing data. It's about having a tax strategy and a narrative surrounding that strategy that is aligned with the company's overall vision and values. ESG, in turn, gives stakeholders great scope to draw inferences, not just about a business's financial performance, but about its sense of purpose and social responsibility. And so uh, moving on to the more technical aspects, are you seeing pressure on your business from clients or society in general on ESG matters? This is Joe Holman, and this is really the U.S. perspective on what we're seeing in the U.S. And we're seeing a lot of regulatory pressure, governmental pressure on companies to be better corporate citizens from a tax standpoint. And we're seeing this because uh, I would say back in 2013, 
Apple was accused by the US of not paying any taxes and by avoiding taxes by uh, setting up Irish tax structures. Uh, and just as an aside, the EU also came down on Apple for setting up those Irish tax structures. Then in 2018, our favorite company, Amazon, uh, made $11 billion in the United States and paid zero tax. And AT&T, which we see on the media all the time advertising their U.S. presence, made $30 billion in the U.S. and paid zero tax. So the U.S. government's response to these companies not paying tax in the United States was about around disclosure. And they created in 2016 a regulation requiring country-by-country country disclosure by large corporations. And it was framed around what's known as BEPS, or the BEPS plan, which requires multinational companies to break down uh, key financial elements across jurisdictions. And these information then is shared with those other jurisdictions. So companies today are reporting to the IRS and also transversely to the uh, other members of the BEPS plan, either country by country breakdown. However, what's really important to note is this information is not publicly disclosed. So the information that's being given to the IRS is not given to the shareholders, the general public. So to address that, uh, the House of Representatives in 2020-21 session passed a resolution called the Disclosure of Tax Havens and Offshore Act, which directs the SEC to require large public companies to disclose country-by-country country tax reporting, just as they do on the CBC. Uh, this bill, by the way, is still working its way through Congress, but should this pass, uh, the SEC would have the power to require these companies to report this uh, information. So it's uh, a lot's happening from the government standpoint. Um, BJ, what are you are you seeing something? What are yes. you seeing? Yes, yes, Joe, and thanks for that uh, feel from the US. I would say that we see increasing pressure on the companies and their boards, especially from regulators, investors, media, civil society, and clients to embrace ESG reporting with tax disclosures. You spoke about US and EU. The EU taxonomy of 2022, under the new standards, investors are running sustainable strategies will need to disclose how much of the investment activity can be classified as sustainable, which in turn forces companies to disclose certain green revenue or capex metrics. So this has become a big pressure on the businesses coming from the investors because of the EU taxonomy. As regards to client, civil society and public, you know, as we know, there is no trust in the ESG data that is being published. So these stakeholders are pushing companies to provide more consistent, repeatable metrics as well. Investors, they are waiting on companies to address the issues with ESG data, especially the asset owners, are all showing signs, increasing signs of looking for managers with strong ESG strategies and reporting and pulling out of companies that aren't reporting ESG data. An example in 2022 in UK was uh, the UK's advertising watchdog banned two HSBC ads for being misleading about its green credentials and not mentioning the bank's financing of polluting industries. So just the ads were banned as well. So the regulators are coming strict. The clients and civil societies are making it difficult. The investors are asking more and more information. And from a GRI standards, which you alluded to as well, Joe, with SEC, there are governments in OECD and G20 countries who are adopting country-by-country country reporting as well so that 
you know, they need just not the overall tax, but what are you doing in a country of operation and how are you reporting tax has become very important. And a new EU directive, which came into effect in December 2021, takes that form of country by country reporting for many businesses operating in the EU mandatory by 2024. So, uh, uh, Joe, that's from my side would be the input on the pressures that are building up on ESG matters. <clears throat> Thank you, BJ and, and Joe, for, for that information. And uh, we're, we're going to turn a bit now specifically looking at how tax laws um, require companies to contribute to societies. And if we think about, um, you know, ordinary citizens like me, taxes are just mandatory payments that the government um, uh, asks us to make. And, and usually that those funds are used for something that does contribute to society, uh, making sure that we have roads and hospitals and um, other uh, things that benefit society as a whole. Um, and so businesses are attempting to implement tax policies that demonstrate their ESG commitments as a way to build that public trust and stakeholder trust. Um, ESG doesn't explicitly talk about tax, but tax is central to the principles of ESG. Um, examples are carbon taxes on greenhouse gas emissions and green tax incentives. Th those encourage sustainable practices by uh, various companies. And so um, tax laws do require companies to contribute to society, to, to the societies in which they operate, which facilitates the public trust and responsible corporate actors. Um, so next I wanna to turn to um, Joe and ask about the tax incentives, um, specifically that I know that there are some, some new um, items in the US tax law, tax incentives, and how they yield uh, to better corporate citizenship. Okay, uh, before I go on to that, I just wanna address some of the points you just made. Uh, Shannon, um, I just wanna highlight the fact that a lot of this tax reporting is surrounded around transparency of how much tax companies pay on a country by country basis. And the reason why it falls into the ESG realm is that those tax payments support the local communities. So if a company can set up a tax structure in a different country from where they operate, they're able to pull away tax money from those jurisdictions, uh, which need desperately need that money. And typically, uh, if those jurisdictions are in third world countries, uh, those countries don't have access to the resources. But even in the U.S., companies like AT&T, where they didn't pay any tax, um, the tax dollars are much needed in the U.S., even though the U.S. appears to have that endless uh, pile of cash. Uh, moving on, though, to what the U.S. is trying to do to promote uh, its own self-interest or to promote itself, tax incentives. Uh, in 2022, they passed the Inflation Reduction Act, or I should say they, Congress did, and signed by the president. And it really tried to accomplish several things in the U.S. One, it was primarily focused on addressing climate change. Climate change is a critical thing that the world needs to come together on that has so much implications around the world. And what they're doing, though, is from a U.S.-centric standpoint, they want to allocate the $400 billion of benefits that they've estimated for to causes like environmental social justice grants, 
where they're help creating social justice that supporting local communities that maybe been disadvantaged and overlooked in the past. Uh, they're looking to reduce US emissions by increasing incentives for clean energy. They're looking to uh, look into uh, sustainable aviation fuel credits. Aviation is a big source of greenhouse gas emissions. There's no real electric airplanes, and by coming up with sustainable aviation fuel, they can consider considerably reduce the emissions associated with air travel. Uh, sustainable agriculture and forestry helps save our forest and create sustainable methods for agriculture and promote those methods. And lastly, what they've tried to do, because it is US centric, is promote US jobs and the US supply chain. So for instance, uh, electric cars, which as everybody talks about, Tesla, Ford has them. Uh, they're giving out say $7,500 credits per electric vehicle for a new car. But that $7,500 credit, as an example, you don't get the full credit if the materials of the car weren't uh, sourced from the United States. So the lithium, the rare metals, what percentage needs to be sourced in the US? Uh, you need to have a certain type of labor, probably uh, union labor, to build that car to get that full $7,500 credit. And that's actually designed to go after Tesla, which doesn't have union labor. So they're trying to promote good jobs. They're trying to promote the US supply chain with this investment uh, inflation reduction act. And the result of it, if I'm not confusing people too much, is that according to a company or a not-for-profit group called E2, uh, in the first six months of the IRA signing, it's estimated that $64 billion of new investments was made and more than 130 clean energy projects were created and 53,000 new good job paying jobs were created all in the clean energy business. So that's a lot of activity in the first six months. And it's estimated by an investment banking firm that over the next 10 years, the IRA will create public and private investments of $1.7 trillion uh, as a result of this act. So these tax incentives are affecting society by helping the underserved, by helping climate change, and by helping the farmers and the forestry in the US, as well as uh, creating a sustainable supply chain. So a lot has happened with that uh, from a tax incentive standpoint. Um, VJ from an international side, yeah, I would say that incentives are a key part of any government sustainability policy uh, because they are intended to bring change and drive certain behaviors, which is increasingly important if we have to meet our ambitious net zero targets of 2050. For example, in the European Union, you know, the Green Deal, a set of policies and initiatives adopted in late 2019 to help make Europe the first climate neutral continent included more than 1,000 modified levies, so it was more taxes. But alongside the taxes, there were a growing number of green incentives, which were handed at the national level and regional level as well. That could affect asset allocation, product development, and overall strategic planning. So incentives are allowed, you know, given in, in certain areas in terms of priority to help grow the requirement or reallocation of capital, if you may call it, towards more environmentally and socially sustainable outcomes. As a contrary to incentives in UK as well, 
last year, it was in October, I think, the UK's Financial Conduct Authority in October proposed a new anti-greenwashing law and said it was enhancing its enforcement strategy with investigations expected to follow. So there are incentives, but UK is also thinking through, we can give the incentive which should not be misused. And so there are certain things which needs to balance it out. And that's what it did with the greenwashing law as well last year. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Shannon. Excellent. I, I also just wanted to move on to thought of investor expectations and what you are seeing with regards to ESG and how investor expectations may be um, changing really the view on on tax. Yeah. So if I if I go on that, Shannon, you know, for me, the investors, when I look at it in the generic world, whether it is a small company or a big company, as I said before, investors are not waiting for companies to just address the ESG. They are aware that the data is not available in full set with everybody to give a whole picture. But they are also looking at the same time, the asset owners are looking for managers who can give them a transparency on the data and report it in a transparent way so that they can take their decisions as well. So it's an organizational construct and its governance structure that becomes increasingly important to become socially responsible investors who want to invest in companies that have a high ESG rating or score. So many in the investment industry believe that the development of ESG factors as considerations in investment analysis will become paramount and important and inevitable in the future as well. And there are various investors are looking at various criteria, whether it is environmental criteria, how does a company safeguard the environment? You know, is there an oil spill like the BP-1 in US or any other spills? How does that take care of the climate, <clears throat> in effect on climate with their operations? What sort of social criteria are they building in into their organization which manages the relationship with the employees? Is there a DNI policy in the company? How are they working with their suppliers? Are they paying in the right time uh, as per the industry sort of law? So those things are also taken in terms of social criteria the investors are looking at. And more so, they are also looking at governance with more and more issues coming up on the governance side as being a new area. The governance deals with companies' leadership, their executive pay, audits, you know, internal controls and shareholder rights. So this has become quite important for investors. And so the investor expectation has grown up multifold in the ESG area. That's from my side, Shannon. Thank you, Vijay. And Joe, what are you seeing in terms of the investors looking at ESG and how that might be impacting the tax uh, landscape? So in, in public companies, first of all, corporations don't do anything without being nudged by their investors or owners. Right. And in public companies, yeah, there were three major shareholder initiatives in 2022 trying to get the companies to disclose their country by country reporting in accordance with the GRI tax standards. And the GRI tax standard is a global reporting initiative, which is a organization where many companies follow to do their sustainability reporting. They created a standard a couple of years back to require companies that did the full GRI reporting, a country by country reporting, which I'll come back to in a minute. Uh, but anyway, so we have these three companies, Amazon, Microsoft, and Cisco, all had major shareholder initiatives 
which the Amazon one actually had to go to court to be able to get on the Amazon ballot. All three weren't successful, but was what was successful was that for Amazon's case, 20% of their shareholders voted for the proposal to have the firm provide tax transparency. And this was backed by the Norwegians tax pension fund, the UK funds, the New York common fund, as well as other large pension and asset owner funds. So it had a big backing of institutions, but not quite enough to get it over the line. In Microsoft's situation, they did slightly better with 22% of the shareholders approving the proxy for better transparency. And as an aside, the 22% approval though failed was the highest approval for all the voting for shareholder prop proposals. So there were several shareholder proposals. The highest one in terms of being approved was the transparency for uh, tax. And Cisco had 27% of the people or shareholders vote to provide tax transparency to the shareholders. So all three of them were defeated, yet the number of shareholders uh, was substantial to get those types of numbers. Uh, it shows that it really meant something to the investment community. Unfortunately, the companies and the board of directors don't feel that disclosing their country by country reporting to the general public or investors uh, is meaningful and they feel it's to the detriment of the company because it might disclose certain tax strategies or create bad press. Uh, just to show you where we stand in the United States or where the public companies are, uh, according to the Financial Account Accountability and Corporate Transparency, which is called FAT Coalition, not a single U.S. company published country-by-country country reporting of tax until 2022. So until 22, nobody reported this information. And only in 22 did two companies come forward and report, uh, publish tax country-by-country country reporting in accordance with the GRI tax standards that came out. And that's Hess Corporation and uh, a mining company called or Newmont. Uh, a second thing I just want to mention is sort of about tax and sort of about, but it's definitely about transparency, uh, is PRI. And PRI is a Principles Responsible Investment, which is an investor organization comprising $100 trillion of assets being used to um, implement ESG policies and procedures. And within that, there's something called the ESG Integrated Disclosure Projects, which came out in November of last year, which asking portfolio managers to disclose certain metrics on the portfolio companies they invest with and then provide that disclosure to the investors as well as on debt situations to the uh, syndicated debt holders of that debt. And included in that template, they do talk about GRI and they imply that tax strategies, if material, should be disclosed on location by location area for each of the company's uh, business activities. So definitely there's a lot on the road for investors uh, from a public standpoint through proxy and through a private investment through the PRI. And Joe, I, I understand the the, the company's um, hesitancy to disclose country by country 
tax information. What do you think the investor's hesitancy to require the companies to disclose that information is? Um, I think that in, from an investor standpoint, you'd like to know, first of all, how they run their business. So you want to understand what's the strategy they employ? Why do they have these structures in Luxco or Dutchco or in Cayman Islands and what they're doing with those structures? They also want to, a lot of these are pension funds and they want to be able to support the communities in which these companies do business. And they really do look at fair, equitable sharing of profits to the various jurisdictions where they do business. So it's definitely a lot of the S in ESG. And mm -hmm. you're not necessarily thinking of it from a financial standpoint, though you do have financial exposure if you have very aggressive tax policies and you have tax professionals such as yourself, Shannon, could identify them and say that the challenge you will probably pay a big penalty. But I think they're more interested in making sure that the local communities in which Microsoft, Cisco, Amazon operate in get their fair tax revenues to be able to support the programs of the communities in which they're operating. So I think it's a lot about the S and not as yeah. much about the F. And and with the 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 twenty, it seems like you know with the um, initiatives, proxy initiatives that have happened recently 20 percent of the investors are saying yes let's do that but the majority are saying no what do you think is behind that um i think it's a lot of insiders especially amazon has a lot of insiders uh owning that particular stock and they don't want to disclose that information to me i believe you know transparency is really important a lot of the rules that are coming out with esg are really about transparency the SEC's rule for climate reporting for public companies, which is expected to be out sometime this year, is you know transparency in terms of your emissions and your uh, effect on the climate and how you view climate risk. Uh, and I think tax is no different. It's just transparency and providing pe people information. Mm -hmm. I personally don't understand why companies wouldn't want that information to come out because eventually it will. And when it does come out, it could make companies look quite poor. Right. Yeah. And if I may add, Shannon, you know, to the point that Joe made, it's very important in terms of transparency because there are many cases, including one of the big companies in India, Adani, which didn't disclose it. And then when Hindenburg did the research, found shell companies in different jurisdictions, which was investing in their companies. So it's about transparency. And if the companies don't come back with transparency, and if it is using the loopholes in its own country regulations, then it's difficult for investors. So once Total came to know that, uh, okay, this company Adani was investing in coal in Australia, it pulled off or it stayed one of its investment in hydrogen mm -hmm. with uh, Adani. So it's a question of that transparency and it will catch up and it'll become a mm -hmm. big deal if it is not, if uh, com companies are not transparent. Thank you for that insight. So we've talked a lot about public companies in this last um, section of our discussion. And I want to just turn now to the small and mid-sized multinational companies um, and talk about what we're seeing there in the market in terms of ESG trends related to, to taxation as well and ESG in general. Vijay, do you want to start? Yeah, I'm happy to start. If I'm looking at Small companies, you know, if you look at what is this ESG reporting, you know, what is it standing on? It's standing on non-financial data as well. 
So if you look at the financial data, it's it's known for 150 years plus 100 plus years. Financial data is always available. What is needed as part of GRI or any other IFRS requirements, but the non-finance data is the typical piece, which not all companies are able to gather it as well. And so for me, the collecting data on all taxes paid by complex multinational group has always been a challenge. And the robust disclosure, whether it is, you know, when it is, which is growing rapidly, remains an exception as well. And, and it, it is important that not one size will fit all in all geographies or sector and businesses as well. And so at, at some times in you know, a small and mid-sized companies find it difficult to report to international standards as well, because that's where uh, you know, people are requiring this multinational companies, whether it is small or mid-sized to report as well. So collecting data on non-financials and social has become that much more difficult for companies as well, you know, if uh, to collect those social data, D&I data, uh, you know, how do you hire those companies? It's a softer side of the finance data, which, you know, you don't get that same, what you call consistency uh, from different countries as well. And so that's why I would say it's difficult to, for the ESG trends, you know, are difficult to manage or report from these small countries as well. And so although non-financial is still is voluntary, many businesses are preparing for the future and, you know, where it will become a legal requirement. So I'm sure under the Global Reporting Initiative or GRI standards, you know, the reporting on all of these elements will become important as part of tax reporting as well. Joe, anything you want to add? I mean, I think, um, yeah, I see a lot of the small companies that say are doing business in Europe struggle on uh, the EU taxonomy. They struggle on SFDR and the various other regulations that come out of Europe that are, say, inconsistent with the regulations in the United or the non-existent regulations in the United States. Um, but what I'm really I'm seeing, though, these companies are addressing it by like boosting up, as you mentioned, BJ, more on the governance side, internal controls. Uh, they're formally assigning responsibilities over ESG as opposed to in the past. It was kind of a haphazard practice of pulling information. So I think it's becoming much more formalized and more intellectually looked at. Uh, and then they rely more upon their professionals to advise them in terms of how to do business, say, in Europe and the United States when there's different frameworks from an ESG standpoint to follow. Um, there's also two standards that are really uh, being looked at, which is the ISSB, which is the International Sustainable Standards Board. And what that's doing is promoting a consistency in ESG reporting on an industry by industry basis in financials and annual reports. So if you look at two companies in the same industry, uh, you'll get the same reporting as opposed to today, uh, people get to cherry pick what ESG information they want to report uh, in their sustainability reporting. Uh, and then you have TCFD, which also is looking at disclosure of uh, tax benefits and costs uh, as it relates to climate. So you're seeing a lot of, um, you see the international standard boards are starting to look at ESG. They're starting to try to create a consistent approach to it in terms of disclosure. And within those disclosures, you're going to get tax by, you know, country by country reporting. But these smaller companies are struggling in terms of uh, figuring it all out. 
Thanks, Joe and BJ, for that. Um, we have dedicated um, quite a bit of resources within the HLB network related to global sustainability and ESG. And so we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how HLB can support our clients, especially those in the small to middle market um, in terms of what they can do to really create sustainability within their companies and look at the future um, and think about what needs, what may be on the horizon in terms of reporting for them as well. Um, maybe Joe, you could uh, start off by talking a little bit about what you see as HLB's role in assisting our clients there. I think that, I mean, HLB is an international organization of professionals. And I think what HLB offers is that you can find a professional that's an expert in ESG or international tax that in the centers where you conduct your business activities so that they could advise you in best practices. So, for instance, I probably would not be the person you would call if you had an operation in India, in China, in terms of what are the practices there, or even as much as in Europe, given the changing landscapes. But you would look to me for, say, ESG consulting in the United States um, regarding, you know, frameworks and what investors are looking for. So that would be my expertise. And I think HLP gives you that menu of finding the right professional to match your needs. So I think it's um, a powerful organization that has a lot of resources to be able to, you know, match your need with the right professional. Thanks, Joe. And BJ, you're the leader in this area for the network, so it'd be great to hear what your vision is for this, um, this initiative to assist our clients in this area. Uh, for me, HLB has got, as rightly Joe said, even if it, Joe is you know, saying about U.S., as we saw from his discussions, he can you know give quite a bit of inputs for the other jurisdictions as well. So we do have... HLB being a global company, having its footprint in most of the countries across the globe, we do have local expertise and global uh, sort of expertise in ESG, which can, you know, the local tax expertise, which can bring together as a collaborative effort to talk about, you know, how do we support on the ESG strategies and procedures under the umbrella of uh, what I call it as, as a tax strategy as well. So if I if I may say, you know, global tax strategy and reporting by itself is complex, easily misunderstood, and at times challenging. You know, various countries are at different stages of maturity on ESG reporting. Understanding its implications on a global scale is complicated. <clears throat> and so I would say looking at not just the main tax points of profits revenue, but also to talk about environmental taxes, carbon offset tax, each has got its own rules and regulations in each country to report. And ESG is an essential tool for creating accountability, transparency, and confidence in HLB as a company for customers and investors. So I would say that a, a considered approach to tax transparency and tax governance is a key thing which HLB can help about. And it will be HLB can sit with any clients and talk about the company's tax strategy in a clearest possible way under the ESG lens as well. So for me, HLB can help companies build a storyline that explains the concepts behind a business's tax strategy, especially given the likelihood of future tax incentives for environmentally sustainable growth. And with our global footprint, we can help 
make that local sort of input and a global expertise, what I call it as a global, a local solution to an ESG problem combined with tax, you know, sort of strategy as well. So that's what HLB brings to the table, Shannon. Excellent. Well, I just want to thank Vijay and Joe for their uh, deep expertise in this area. That concludes our discussion for today on the intersection between ESG and taxation. We look forward to hearing from you and having your thoughts and hope that you will join us for our next podcast as well. Take care. Thanks for listening. For more information about this topic and other cross-border business insights, visit www.hlb.global forward slash insights.